this was the uh, final one you did with Stevie, I believe. Um, uh -huh. he, had yep. a, he had a near fatal accident, I think, shortly before this. Yeah, uh, in my state now, North Carolina. And um, this record definitely was a little more sort of uh, somber in a way than the other ones. Um, yeah, it was, uh, and his mood in the studio was different. I think that he uh, really confronted his own mortality. You know, when you're in your 20s, I know you were in your 20s at one time, just like me. Now I look in the mirror, I see my father, although when I look out through my own eyes, I don't, I don't see that, okay? I still feel like I'm 25 until I get up and have to find a way to get across the room, if you know what I mean. But Stevie, you know, before that accident, I think he was really feeling very immortal, right? Invincible, yeah. Yeah, invincible is the word, right? I think that accident sort of changed his perspective on that a lot. He was in a coma for, I don't know, a week, a long time. And uh, Barry Gordy came to me in Mountain and said, sometimes said, Stevie, can you finish the records? And we said, no, we were absolutely forbidden. Those are Stevie's product. We were not employees of Motown. We were employed by Stevie. And to our best knowledge, Stevie made it very clear if that something happened to him, God forbid, that uh, we would uh, respect the privacy of his music, his unfinished uh, archive. And we respected that. And uh, I stand by that to this day. He came back. It was never quite the same, to be honest. I think that his confrontation with death gave him a very different perspective of life. But I do know this. Uh, it really made me believe that there is a higher power because Stevie is inspired and connected to that. And God knows we can sure use some of those messages today. No question. So uh, I, I wanted to mention um, also, when I put this up, you won a Grammy for this one, correct? Uh, what did I win the Grammy for? Uh, yeah, engineering or something? Yeah, engineering. Yeah, so yeah, that's a, a landmark recording. Congratulations on that. Now, I read how you sort of uh, moved away from Stevie after that. Um, you got too many hangers on in the studio, and it wasn't the same anymore. Um, Want to just kind of speak to how you moved on from that? Well, um, we had sort of run our course. In any kind of producing capacity, I think you also get to a place where you start repeating yourself, you know, and you want to always do it secure. Well, I had success with this record and I used the sound. So I guess I'll use the sound again because I had success with it the last time. But part of the thing is, uh, is to be able to have the courage to step forward all the time, not to kind of look backward. You know, the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I can't change Stevie's past. I can't change the music we've already recorded. The courage to change the things we can, step ahead to new sounds, step ahead to new thinking, and the wisdom to know the difference. And part of the wisdom to know the difference was that we weren't really making true headway with Steve. We got to a plateau. People were really sort of saying, oh, Steve, the iconoclastic person, he does everything. And we were the boffins behind the stage, the, uh, you know, and we were never really 
brought out in the public eye as being a part of that thing at all. Uh, it was Stevie, and I think in a way Stevie kind of believed that too, that it was all him. You know, part of the job of a great producer is to get the artist to perform to the limits of his potential. And I think we did that with Steve. That was part of the job. But it got to a place where I think we were really not recognized for our contributions correctly. And the bottom line was that we were not taken care of financially correctly. It's not the first time, not going to be the last time. Okay. But we were made certain promises by Steve, which were never fulfilled in terms of royalties and business. I never wanted to have business in the studio. We would never discuss it, but it never got discussed properly. And when the time finally came, uh, I can remember the day when we were in the control room working with Steve on the last record. And there were a whole bunch of people in the studio partying and smoking and carrying on and thinking it was all very entertaining and was really interfering with us doing our work. Malcolm turned around to the guy, one of the guys said, would you mind holding it down? It's really hard. We're busy here, right? And Steve heard it on an open mic and says, don't you talk to my friends like that. And Malcolm stood up and said, well, here you go, Steve. Have your friends finish your record because I'm leaving. And he got up and walked out. And very honestly, I think I should have done the same thing. But I finished the session. I worked with Steve for another week or two, uh, the magic was gone. The, the planets had gone their separate ways. And I left after two weeks and handed over his library and his materials and stuff. And we went our separate ways. It's not the first time that business has not been taken care of. It's not the first time that people don't get recognition for what they do. But after a while, you have to admit to the reality and the truth. And the honest thing is the truth needs no defense. And that's the true story. Well, Robert, it seems like in the music uh, business anyway, you know, every great artist, whether it's Stevie Wonder or Prince or James Brown or whoever, the Beatles, they have like this three to five year window, it seems, where they're just at their peak. And it rarely kind of goes beyond that magical three to five period. I mean, I keep thinking, you know, I, I really, you know, sometimes I did, there was this big article recently in Reverb magazine, which really tells the whole story <clears throat> the meeting, the what we did, a lot of musical examples and the conclusion of what happened and stuff. And somehow I still feel little traces of disappointment and anger towards the way it ended. But I have made my peace with Stevie. We talk to each other. We do things together on occasion. And this last Christmas, he did his concert at the um, at Staples, and he called me on the phone and says, you please come to Staples for the concert. I have a few seats for you. So I went down there. Malcolm was in New York, and he performed the entire Talking Book and Intervisions album from top to bottom in that concert. And he walked to the front of the stage and said, I'd like to thank you very much, Robert Margolef and Malcolm Cecil for helping me with this project. And frankly, it's the first time he actually said thank you to me for that. Wow. It was 45 years later, it was last year. Wow, that's okay. something. So, you know, somehow God has a plan for all of us 
And uh, Stevie is an intensely personal, spiritual human being. And despite the bullshit with the business and everything else, you can't take it away from the music. And in the end, that's really what lives. The business deals come and go, and who cares, really? What lasts and what changes the world is the music. That's right. I, I, saw, I saw your name associated with these. Did you actually do anything on these later albums? Uh, Jungle, um, Jungle Fever and Conversation Piece. I saw your name. Yeah, well, I did some stuff on Conversation Piece. I did some mixing for them down the pike. It was a few years ago. It was relatively recent. I know in the last 10 years, maybe eight years. Yeah, and Jungle Fever, I did a little some stuff for him, me and Malcolm, but Basically, the party was over. The spirit of it is not there. I would love, I'm a, <clears throat> I asked Steve uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said, Steve, I sent him a text message. Send me a file. Just send me a file when he reads the songs. I don't want to upset anybody's apple cart. I know you have an engineer that's worked for you for 40 years or 30 years in your studio. You're used to him, and that's all very nice and everything. I don't want to upset his job security or do anything that would upset anyone. Just send me a file. I will mix it here at my place. I will show you what I'm doing now because I'm now doing all these soundscapes and all the sci-fi stuff, right? And uh, I, I will do it for you. You've never, never even answered. Well, of course, now you're lucky if you see a record from him uh, a decade, so. Right. Does he need to do another record? Not really. He's content playing the same 40 songs that me and Malcolm did with him over and over and over again. There have been some few hits. There's been Lady in Red. There have been some stuff that's been very underrecognized. The film that he did called The Secret Life of Plants, which has some very adventuresome stuff on it. Right now, what I'm looking at right now is the fact that Stevie has a huge archive of material which is slowly going south. Magnetic particles on tape have a very nasty proclivity to want to face north. And sooner or later, they do face north. And when that happens, the audio becomes very compromised on the tape. He has a vast library of material that deserves to be preserved and archived correctly. I want to reach out to the Smithsonian or to the Library of Congress and to find out how and whether I'm involved or not. But while I'm still alive and my brain is still ticking over, to be able to get Stevie and sit him down in front of a microphone like this and say, Steve, what do you remember about Talking Book? Oh, Bob, well, did this, we did that. I remember this. I remember when you came in the room or whatever, right? I remember Yvonne sitting next to me on you and I on the piano bench or just some, recollect some recollections of that. This material has changed the way we listen to music. And I think that it really requires, and I'm doing this publicly, I'm saying it to you, because somehow I want to encourage him, whoever does it, but to preserve his archive correctly, that it's not, when he disappears, that it's not destroyed and buried without having uh, ever seen the light of day correctly. There are songs, though, that have never been released. There's got to be a lot of them with all yeah. the years that have come. I can remember doing a version of She's Living, Leaving Home, a Beatles song with him, which is absolutely fantastic. It rings around in my mind to this day. Never been released. Mm -hmm. Stuff there that changed the way people think about themselves in the world. 
and God knows we can use it with who we have in Washington right now. Okay, what's going on there? Okay, it's it, it's horrifying. Okay, but this is the time when people like Stevie need to stand up. Robert, I want to ask you about a couple of the other. I, I I'll sign every memo, whatever I can do for all that you just said. I'm totally on board. Um, want to talk about a couple of other artists so that you also touched uh, while I have you and. I know that uh, another favorite of mine uh, is Isley Brothers. So I have here uh, the first one, three plus three, the heat is on. What, what, what did you do with the Isley Brothers? Well, actually, Malcolm took more of a lead on that because they really came into the studio with a few of, uh, we know exactly what we want to do. We've been on the road. We rehearsed uh, Kelly, who was long gone, unfortunately. Uh, was sort of like the cop. They all did what they were told. They all went in the studio, played a lot of music together. It really wasn't sort of the adventure like with Stevie. It was more of uh, record what we're doing, although we got some good sounds for, for it and everything else. But they didn't like me as much as they liked Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm, of course, consummate musician and complete airhead on a certain level, but uh, much more, you know, much more engineer guy where i was much more the electronica performance sound picture guy the, the spatial guy and stuff and uh they really came in the studio they came with a briefcase full of cash every time from the get and they would uh there was no real spiritual element to it was really an engineering engineering job more than producing per se there's some there's some of that energy in there i mean it was in the studio but it wasn't the same collaborative energy that we had with steve it was uh, you do this for me here's your money yeah hired hands kind of hired hand yeah yes well ernie's guitar with your blue collar workers for the eyes <laughs> Ernie Isley's uh, sort of synthesized guitar sound, though, is very unique. Did either of you have anything to do with that unique no. sound? No. I, I don't know. I haven't spoken to Malcolm in a couple of years. <clears throat> he lives on the East Coast. I live on the West Coast. He leads his world. I lead mine. The last real true interaction I had with Malcolm is when I uh, found the, uh, the keyboard museum up in Vancouver. Uh, and they bought Tonto. They bought the synthesizer, mm -hmm. and we got a nice check for it and everything. And uh, that's the last sort of interaction I really had with Malcolm. I've seen him at a couple of trade shows, but he's and I've tried to reach out to him, but he's not really that interested. He's just turned eighty. Wow! I'll be seventy-seven on August eighth. God bless you. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah, we are. This is, I wanted to get this up here. This is uh, where you can sort of see Tonto a little bit on this uh, Gil Scott Heron album from 1980. Yeah, Gil Scott Heron material is all Malcolm's. Yeah, but you can see the, uh, at least what Tonto looked like. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. That Gil is a very interesting artist. He's the original rapper. Yeah. And also with sound, musical soundscapes, jazz-oriented, whereas I'm doing stuff now with electronica, sort of in the same vein. But um, 
Jill was an interesting artist. We had just sort of separated and gone our ways. I went toward Devo. Malcolm went to Gil Scott Heron. I produced Devo. He produced Gil Scott Heron. We're yeah. our artists that did that. So Let It Whip, you were part of that, right? Huh? You were part of Let It Whip, right? With Devo? Yeah, I did Whip It, yeah. Whip It, Whip It, yeah. yeah. Let It Whip was the jazz band. Whip It is Devo, yeah. <laughs> So uh, did you also work with Billy Preston or was that? I did. Uh, Billy was a friend and uh, I met Billy and I did a whole bunch of albums with him. And we used to record at his house up in Topanga. I had a house in Topanga with a, and I have this into horses and Billy loved horses and had a house in Topanga, New Canyon. I had a house in the old Canyon and I took the record plant truck and parked it in his driveway and we recorded in his house. And I would ride my horse, Iron General, over to his house in the morning. And we would record at his house. And uh, he was a remarkable man. And I'm very sorry that he's gone. Cocaine took him. Mm -hmm. time. One of the most talented guys. He's known as the Fifth Beetle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, running, going in circles and nothing from nothing. <clears throat> All those great records chokes me up a little bit thinking about oh, it. Oh, yeah, and the synthesizer work he did on uh, Out of Space and uh, Stratton and all that stuff. I did a lot of that with him. Yeah, great, great stuff. Uh, is there anyone else that you uh, worked really close with uh, that we should know about that you want to share that's well-known? Well, Minnie Ripperton, Perfect oh. Angel. Malcolm, me, and Steve produced that. And with Dickie Rudolph, who I'm still friends with to this day, and it's a good soul. His daughter is uh, Maya Rudolph, right? Comedian, right? And uh, there, and uh, of course, Sarita Wright, Stevie's first wife. We did some remarkable work with her, which has sort of been buried into the into the stratosphere somewhere. But there's been some really good things. Uh, I did the Wilson Pickett's album, the last album he ever recorded, which was uh, called American Soul Man. Did that at, uh, that was a good one. I'm doing all kinds of stuff now. You name it, I'm doing it. Working with a new artist, Julian Shaw Taylor, who's sort of the reincarnation of David Bowie. His stuff is fantastic. I've just finished some new sides with him. I'm working on the uh, Test Shot Starfish, the latest stuff with immersive technology and I've been through 10 years or 12 years. I had a studio called Mikasa Multimedia, and we were the first to actually prepare motion picture soundtracks for uh, for DVD and Blu-ray, which were different mixes than the theatrical mixes. And that kind of took me away from being in the studio because I had, I had three studios and the staff of 10 people. And uh, that was ran very well until the studios decided to start doing the... Uh, home theater mixes on their own. Now, of course, people are doing everything on earphones and we don't even have home theaters really to speak of. There's some, but it's not a huge market. But where the immersive audio really works now and the emotional aspect of it is in for pop music, it's just wonderful. And uh, I'm loving that. I'm working in that technology. I work with a company called Here 360 who've developed a microphone called 8-Ball, which is eight microphones inside of a sphere that sits under the camera under the 360 camera so when you do head tracking you can actually hear the motion of the audio the audio in vr is an equal partner to the video 
and you have to really it's not just a great vr experience unless you can really get that dolby atmos to unfold inside your head and that's the kind of stuff i'm doing now and i'm still out there on the forefront of stuff doing new technology and loving it is, is that mic being very widely used today it is uh you can go to eight ball on thing you can go to their website it's called here 360 and the eight ball microphone it comes with a full uh, software suite for pro tools so that you can actually manipulate the sound and come out the other end from a, an event if you're doing a concert event or in a studio and it'll come out the other end of it you can they have a lot of good uh, examples of the eight ball audio on the website as well over there here360.com great I'm doing, I'm doing science i'm making people listen to new ways into free people's minds it's not about the past it's about the isness of now and where am i going to be tomorrow that's more interesting to me how are we going to change the world that's what's interesting to me Robert, I want to ask you one final question, but before I do, um, it just uh, came into my head. You know, with all that work you did with Stevie in the studio, did he have a hard time replicating those songs in concert settings? I mean, how did he do that? I, I thought they sounded pretty good. At Christmas time, I heard songs that I recorded 40-some-odd years ago. But back then, like in the early 70s, did he have a hard time replicating? Not really. They were never the same. I mean, the, those... Those recordings were never intended, never thought about how we're going to do it live. It was never about that. Okay. Right now, where is the performance? The performance is the recording. The technology drives the art. And the technology enabled us to do what we did with Stevie. If we didn't have the technology, we wouldn't have the songs. Why is a record three and a half minutes long? Why is a single on radio three and a half minutes long? You ever think about that? Attention span, that's what No, <laughs> pretty simple. It's all the music you can get on a 78. Mm. That's going way back. It's way, but it still lives. Yeah. We've been trained to do that because we live inside the technology. The architecture dictates how we're gonna make the record. First thing somebody says when they sit down to compose the music is, where is it going to be played? What am I performing it for? Is it going to be in a church? I'm not going to do Boogie on Reggae Woman in a church with the reverberant times of two and three and four seconds. No, we're going to be in some sort of a tight club. You're thinking about, oh, it's going to be a tight space. Now the club's in our head. What we unfold here is like Dolby Atmos, in surround in a movie theater, but the music now unfolds inside our head. It has nothing to do with the architecture anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, Robert, with all that, looking at where we are today in 2018, what in your mind is the best thing about where we are with audio technology and what's sort of maybe something that we've lost? <clears throat> well, I like to say, <clears throat> excuse me, I like to say that everybody's out of the bleachers and on the field. There are no more gate posts, okay? Everybody's his own person. Everybody's his own record company. And the laptop computer has become the new folk instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, my time it was the Fender Rhodes piano and the 
clavinet and the acoustic guitar and stuff like that. But now you can sit in your kitchen with a laptop and do it all. And your laptop, the sound that comes out of the laptop is as big as the sound that comes out of Warner Brothers Studios. You don't need interlocutors between the music, the creative force, and the final product. You can create it all yourself, one way or another. And the new music reflects the technology driving the art, like I say. We now have technology where our folk instruments in our time, the acoustic, like I say, the acoustic guitar and stuff, my roommates, who's 20, who's 32, his, uh, his folk instrument's a laptop. It's an Apple. That's the musical instrument. It's also the film. It's also the video. It's also everything. What does it do? The technology now is in, direct, in the direct hands of the creatives. We don't need to have some long-haired guy up in the thing eating a pastrami sandwich. It is a record company office high up in the Time Warner Tower deciding who's going to be a star and who isn't. Spotify short-circuited that whole thing, too. You know, when I was a kid, I used to go do when I was working at Broadway recording studios back. And we, the guys would come in, they'd make a record, and Pat Jakes would run into the back room and cut a lack of 45. Right, and go. We'd have 500 manufactured, and go out to a uh, to a uh, swap meet. He'd open the trunk of his car, and he'd sell records. Or he'd go down, and Rodney Bigenheimer would play it on local radio, and uh, you worked your record. It's not any different now. Now you have to release it on Spotify, on iTunes, and but you don't need some guy in an office in downtown uh, downtown uh, Universal City to say. Who's going to go into the studio and who isn't? And who's going to play and where's, I'm going to loan you $50,000 to do your record. The guy down there is saying, well, $50,000, I can get, you know, I can get a major artist for $50,000. I need to, I don't need to bet on anybody new, right? I know I'm going to sell so many, so many records, so many recordings, so many downloads. We're in a tremendous state of flux right now, but that's always the way the record business has been. You know, music's an interesting thing. It falls out of the loudspeakers. And if you turn the thing to the off switch, it disappears. It doesn't hang around. You know, it's either in the air or it isn't. You know, the important thing right now is content. People have things to say. And we have to learn how to change the world through music again. It's not just about bumping and bleeping around. But music needs to have context and content. And that is still in the hands of great artists. The rest of it doesn't make any difference. Just toilet paper, you know. But uh, now there are no gatekeepers, there are no A and R people to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's all out there. It's all out there. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. Prepare for worse. Yeah. And it's really up. To, no one's going to tell you what to listen to. You know, no one's going to just say, "Well, I'm going to put the." You know, $150,000 in pro, you know, unless you're Live Nation or something like that, where you're making money from the live performances and you're rapping, the records are just commercial uh, commercials for the live shows and for the publishing. But the record business isn't what it used to be, where you used to love the album cover, the beautiful album covers and the art. Yeah. You know, and Fillmore's record, kind of Fillmore East and West and 
Bill Graham's art and all the psychedelic art and all that stuff. That was all a part of the musical experience that has changed. Exactly. Now everyone's making videos with their iPhones. They don't need, I have a little gimbal I can use. I don't have to, you know, like when I was doing Chow Manhattan back in the day, you know, my portable camera was an Ari and a BL and a blimp. It took three people to carry the camera around. It was not, you know, now I'm doing it with my cell phone. And I'm getting better results. Do you, do you just kind of roll with it, or does it blow your mind with what technology has done? I'm very technically uh, adept and oriented toward the technology. Really, I'm very interested. One of the things that really interests me more than anything else is how do we know where a sound is coming from? How do we, in our brains, decide, make all of these sonic decisions in our heads that relate to our memories, to relate to our uh, love affairs, things we don't like, all that kind of stuff that's tribal. What is it inside our heads that enables us to make those kind of decisions? How do we hear things? Uh, a great book, which I could recommend to anybody, it was written in the late 1800s, was called On the Sensations of Tone by a very famous sort of interesting researcher named Heinrich Helmholtz. Helmholtz resonator. He was the one who sort of began to figure out the science and physics of audio. Mm. And the drawings in there are pen and ink drawings with, you know, very arcane looking stuff like from the 20s and 30s and, you know, smoke glass with uh, pens tracing wave shapes into smoke glass, things like that. But what he discovered in related physical world to the anatomical world of how people listen and what they hear and where a sound is coming from and how it ties into our memories were things that he addressed that are true today as they were when he wrote it down. And uh, if people are really interested, you can open that book to any page and learn something. Hmm. But the reason why we hear, why I guess I'm so fascinated with surround audio is the fact that the motive energy of the sound in motion is something that we have not been able to really regard simply because we could not store that information electrically. Now, with the new technology, we can store that information. And we can now, with the new technology, put the creative force directly into the hands of the creatives. That is the blessing of what's going on now. Did, did you work with Jeff Beck at all years ago? Uh, once or twice. Uh, Superstition was originally written for Jeff. Yeah. And when we put the track down to give it to Jeff, Steve said, "Now nah, I think I want to keep this one for myself. And we gave him looking for pure love instead. He was not happy about that either, to say the least. But I, I did some sessions with him. Yeah. I ask you because uh, Blow by Blow was, huh? one of, Blow by Blow was one of the uh, coolest sonic sounding four channel uh, recordings I heard back then. Uh -huh. I remember it impressed me at the time. He's an incredible musician. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I've had the blessing of working with a lot of really cool people, you know. And here I am still at it, still doing it. Outstanding. And, uh, it, it might not be the big dollars or anything else, but, you know, to be, on a, to be on the set for the last two days doing the story of everything and with the cameras and the dollies and people running around all over the place and doing great music in, in, over at the Village Recorder, making recording a soundtrack in a couple of days' time with live players. 
I really feel wonderful. It makes me feel terrific to be able to mix all this space age stuff. That even makes me feel more terrific. <laughs> That's great. That I'm still here, still being able to do something and to do something that I think has some social social meaning, that it's not just a bunch of fluff, but that the rec my records in general have always been about social causes, social things. Look at Devo, for example, Whip It. Devo stands for devolution. They were on the whole thing of global warming and chemical pollution in 1985 mm. and before. That's something that I could seize and understand. You know, I find it incredulous about the what's going on with the EPA and uh, with Trump. Uh, turns my stomach. Turns my stomach. I, I'm saddened by it. Yeah. You know, and uh, opposite of music. <laughs> well, yeah, but music is the way that we can change this. But we have to get people to believe in a common cause and stand up together and not become too divided in terms of the election. You might not agree with everyone who's going to be running against Trump this time around, but you got to put your differences aside and stand with one person and make sure that we return the levers of government to a just and reasonable House of Representatives in Congress and to moderate what's going on. And uh, a lot of that is because of art, that we can do that. It's through art and inspiration. And I am up for that. I'm begging Stevie to come out of mothballs and to do something about some songs about now that we need to know. We need to know about the kids on the border being ripped from their parents. We need to know about that more. And we need to know it on a level that people get it and understand it. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not lacking for material for those kind of songs. Yeah, but we need people who ha whose voice can be heard. And Stevie has a voice that people will listen to, millions and millions of people. And he needs to, he needs to say something about that. I, well, I, hope you can inspire him. I hope you can help inspire him. I am trying like crazy to get him to do. It doesn't, I don't even need to be there. You know, it's not about me at all but it's about his view of the world and how he can touch a million people's lives to get them to stand together and to do something but he'll speak out from time to time but yeah. he doesn't put it to music anymore no which has a much better reach yeah. all he needs to do is to do something that has some passion and some energy about this one or two songs is all it would take and he could get people to stand up together. You know, like Michael Jackson did it with We Are the World. That was another political song that did something. But we haven't touched that since then, really. 35 years or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm very glad we could connect and I really enjoyed talking with you and it's, uh, I'm so very glad that, that you're still energized and still doing stuff. You know, that's great. God bless you, my friend, and stay in touch. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. Can you imagine being able to have sat in on those sessions in the early 70s when those masterworks were being created and just you, Stevie, and uh, Malcolm Cecil, and, of course, Robert Margoloff? 
incredible. He created some of the most innovative, soul-stirring, and amazing music of all time. Talk about the perfect elements all matching up at a perfect moment in time. It's really pretty mind-blowing, as were some of the accomplishments and concepts of sound engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Robert Margulis. Huge thanks once again to him for sharing his life story with Truth and Rhythm. Also, sincere thank, thank you again to you, our viewers and listeners. Much appreciated. Speaking of which, subscribe. If you haven't already subscribed, go to YouTube. It's the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. Make sure that you subscribe. We need that support. Show these great funk, jazz, and R&B artists that you appreciate and love what they've done, the gift that they've given us all. And if you've already subscribed, get a friend or family to subscribe. And I want to hear from you. Drop me an email at scottg at fuckingstuff.net. Let me know who else you want to see on the show, what you like about it, maybe what you're not that crazy about. Be getting a lot of feedback, and it's great. You know, uh, It's helping further support my efforts to get so many other great uh, acts, artists, and people behind the scenes, too, on the show. So much appreciated. And until then, as always, this is Scott, Dr. GX Goldfine saying keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.